Welcome or welcome back to the Higher Career Podcast, everybody. The podcast full of wicked stories from the job market and experts showing us how to succeed in it. Today with us on the show is the incomparable Stephen Rothberg from College Recruiter. Now, we brought Stephen on because he has the magical ability to talk about a topic that most of us dread in a way that makes us dream, which is job research. There's actually a lot of rhyme, reason and method to setting up an autopiloted, omni-channel, interweb-driven drip feed of jobs that you may just want to get your hands onto. And we brought him on in particular because we have all been in this strange situation where either we're still on a job or we're unemployed and we need a new one, but it just feels so incredibly overwhelming to get started with this. The world is a big place and you could be anywhere possibly, could be doing anything. How do you even start? This is a two-part episode. Part one is going to deal with what comes before the job search? How do you find out what are your values? What are you good at? What are you interested in? So stay tuned and as per usual, cue the funky beat. Let's go get it. We've got Steven in the virtual studio. I am, as per usual, beyond thrilled. Now, for our avid listeners out there, you know that this is an old hat, but we do very much enjoy sending our guests up some tall building, and Steven is in Minneapolis, so we're going to send him up the IDS Center. I don't know what that stands for. I don't know what is within it. So please, Stephen, do illuminate us. <laughs> so um the IDS Center it's uh, it's named after an, a company that no longer exists. I think it was mm. I think it was acquired decades ago by American Express. It was a financial services company. But this is one of those cities that is kind of a large town and people just got so used to the biggest uh skyscraper being the IDS Center that there was a lot of public pushback against mm -hmm. renaming the building when the <laughs> corporate parent was acquired. In, right. And you see the same thing in some other cities like in Chicago. People still talk about the Sears Tower, even though for probably a decade it's been, I think, called the Willis Center or something like that now. It's old, old habits die hard. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I was um, – if I was at the top of the IDS Center, first of all, I would be very unhappy. Um, I'm afraid of heights and no. standing uh, at a window looking down, I think, 80 floors or something like that would, would not be my idea of a good day. Um, but I would be looking out over, over a metro area of about 3 million people. Um, it's got literally hundreds of lakes within the metro area, um, bike paths, etc. We're one of the coldest large metros in the world and yet we have the second highest percentage of people who bicycle to work uh commute to work by bike and that includes about three months of really brutal winter so i think that there are um, a lot of people here who are really into physical fitness mm -hmm. and an even greater number of people who are just absolutely freaking insane 
from what you were starting to describe there, I thought, oh, that sounds like Switzerland. We've got hiking paths, we've got lakes absolutely mm-hmm. everywhere. However, barely anybody's on a bicycle because I always say even when you're going downhill, you're going uphill because this is a very mountainous <laughs> area. But so fear of heights, not a problem. Then, you know, keep this elevator ride up the tall building as short as you'd like or as long as you feel comfortable with. And let us know, who is Stephen? Yeah. So I am the founder and chief visionary officer of College Recruiter, which is a job search site. So think Indeed, LinkedIn, um, mm-hmm. a site like that, but specifically for the niche of students and recent graduates of colleges and universities. Um, our customers are mostly Fortune 1000 companies, government agencies, and other organizations that hire at scale, meaning dozens, hundreds, sometimes thousands a year into what we call entry-level roles, any job that requires zero to three years Mm -hmm. of experience. Over the course of a year, we help more than 7 million students and recent grads uh, find great new jobs. And I founded the company way back in 1991. It certainly wasn't a job search site or job board back then. There were there. There weren't very many of those at the Mm -hmm. time, literally just a handful. We're global. And um, right now, our tech really only allows us to run English language postings. So for listeners of this podcast, that's probably totally fine. Um, But next year, uh, 2023, by the end of the year, uh, our plan is to offer uh, multi-language support so that we'll be able to run postings in every major language mm-hmm. uh, in the world. Oh, hello, inclusion and global reach. I mean, <laughs> good for you. It does make me chuckle that you said 1991. I'm not going to disclose my age, but I was very young at the time. Oh, oh, um, st- yeah. oh I'm going to I'm I'm going to have to hunt you down and do some serious damage. <laughs> <laughs> I was one. I was one. Uh, so, well, that's, that's really cool. So was I. I was just very, very precocious. As a, a one-year-old entrepreneur, uh, bookkeeping was a bit of a struggle because I yeah, didn't know yeah. how to add past two. Literacy. But, you know, other than, yeah. The vision was there. The vision was already there, which is which – is, <laughs> and the German word for this would be a Wunderkind. Thank you so much for this uh, – for the expose. I think already anybody out there that is looking for um, this kind of gig, absolutely check out Stephen's um, platform. I'm going to leave all of the applicable links in the show notes down below. If you do not know where this is, you are forgiven. But whatever podcast player you are listening to this episode in, there must be some kind of tiny arrow next to it that will drop down a large seo savvy blurb that i've created but also some useful links for you but let's hop straight into this episode and before we go into the art and craft of finding a job that actually suits you and how to structure this research that feels so overwhelming to so many of us let's do a little bit of orientation and first of all to help us all be confident in what we're about to do so we have spoken to loads of guests about what kind of questions they should ask themselves when trying to figure out what their dream career would look like but mm-hmm. like a good bottle of wine this kind of stuff you know bears repeating so Stephen, let us know what your perhaps Perhaps top four things are that people should find out about themselves before thinking about getting or changing a job because this episode is very transversal i think the learnings here are really applicable to anybody 
Yeah. You know, when I'm talking to friends or, or family or, or other people who are searching for a new role, whether it's uh, early career, something that they might do when they're usually a young adult, but not always. It can also be a, something, a change in, in midlife. Um, or if it's something that you're looking to do after 10, 15, 20 years of experience, the advice is really the same. So mm-hmm. it's not just for our audience. It's also for those of your listeners who have years and years of experience. And what I tell them to do is to grab a pad of paper mm-hmm. and at the top of the sheet, write down four words, competencies, interests, values, and compensation. And mm-hmm. then under the word competencies, just brainstorm, take five, 10, 30 minutes, whatever, and just write down everything that you think you're good at and whether it's career related or not. So if you're really good at playing, you know, Call of Duty video games, then write that down. If your dog thinks that you are just awesome, write that down, just whatever. And under interests, anything that captures your interest. Uh, do you really like watching, you know, teenage dance movies on Netflix? Write that down, just whatever. Um, values would be things that matter to you, that are important. That might be things like feeding the homeless. It might be things like helping elderly ladies cross the street. It might be things like um, going to a, a homeless shelter and, and feeding people. Just, you know, anything, uh, volunteering in your church, you know, anything along those lines. And then under the, the last column, which I've added that over the last five, six, seven years, the compensation, mm. things that you need to, uh, to live, paying bills, rent, food, medicine, Childcare, whatever. And then literally take a break, walk away, come back an hour or two later, a day or two later, and then take a look at that sheet of paper and look for commonalities. I've 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 had people say that the best way that they can do that is by mm-hmm. not focusing on individual words on the sheet but just sort of like looking at the sheet as a whole and almost blurring their eyes a little bit and okay. look for themes that that go across all of them. So, you know, are you really good at video games? Are you interested in computer programming? Does automating some kind of a work function to to make people's lives easier matter to you, you know, those sorts of things, that's going to lead you down the path of maybe a software development is something that you should be looking at or Mm -hmm. being a, being a tester for a, um, a software development company. There are loads and loads of different occupational fields Mm -hmm. within that general area, but just look for those and kind of, circle them, make notes. And when you're done, you're probably going to end up with only a handful and you'll probably be surprised. And one of the reasons that I want people to focus not only on their competencies, what they're good at, but also on their interests and values is that 
the 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 my grandparents' generation, those that started in the workforce in like the the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, even the nineteen forties, they tended to work for survival. They took any job that was offered to them that paid them enough money that they basically wouldn't starve and that they could have a roof over their head. And the idea that your work should be fulfilling was something that for the vast majority of people was unthinkable. It mm-hmm. didn't matter. You you needed to put food on the table, you needed to pay your rent, and if you could do that, why were you complaining? The baby boomers came along and the people who were working in the the 60s, 70s into the 80s, they started to accumulate some wealth. You know, wealth moved from the upper class into the middle class and people started to be able to say, you know, I might be able to afford a second home, a second car, a new microwave. They started to be able to have some disposable income that didn't go to life's basic necessities. And so then they started to look for that in work. It wasn't just taking any job. It was taking the job that provided them with the highest compensation. But again, not necessarily and probably not the job that offered them any kind of fulfillment. Millennials and, and Gen Z, that the, the generation that's coming into the workforce now, um, people are starting to call them Zoomers rather than Gen Z or Gen Z. They are also really, I shouldn't say also, but really for the first time in human history, you have a very large cross-section of people who are not just working for survival, who are not just choosing jobs based upon the compensation because they now have choices between mm-hmm. jobs, but they're also choosing jobs based upon their interests and values. I think that's fantastic. I think people should be able to certainly pay their bills. They should be able to do work that's interesting, that's important to them. That last column really comes into play because there are going to be occupations that you're good at, that you're interested in, that matter to you, but that don't pay nearly enough for you to survive. Now, mm-hmm. if you're a trust fund baby, if your parents have wealth, <laughs> you know, if you have the word count or prince or lady before your name, then you probably don't have to worry about that. But for the 99.99% of the rest mm-hmm. of us, you do have to think about what's what do I pay for rent? What do I pay for food? Um, I have adult children. All, all, all three of my kids are in their 20s. And one thing that I've seen from them, their friends, that generation, is that they've adjusted better than my generation, Gen X did, and certainly better than the previous generation, baby boomers did, what their financial obligations are so that they can have more flexibility Mm -hmm. in their life, their professional life, their personal life. So I see a lot of young adults making very deliberate choices to live a simpler lifestyle, not Mm -hmm. to accumulate a bunch of stuff so that they can travel. Rather than buying, spending money on things, they're spending money on experiences. And that translates into the kind of work that you do. So I hope true. that helps. It's an interesting notion that you don't, people no longer have to work for survival. There's a, a stream of frustration, I want to say, amongst mm. the, now the workforce that is maybe in their late 40s and the early 50s that see a lot of entitlement um mm-hmm. in that mindset 
whereas I th- I see more durability, I see more sustainability also in work effort, more creativity if you get this formula right, which is fantastic. And the other element to this, there's also a great danger in it that I feel. I think it was in the US where now when surveys are done amongst um, elementary school children, the vast majority mm. of them will say, I want to become a YouTuber. <laughs> because the wealth of information and choice can be very alluring, it can be very confusing, but it can also be extremely shallow. And so as a podcast producer, you know this, that people listen to this half an hour episode, hours and hours and hours go into making these. And the same is true for something like uh, YouTube as a career. And my dad had an interesting thing about this. He said, you can do whatever you like, whatever you want to do, study that or do an apprenticeship and work, but have one tangible skill that is never going to go out of fashion. So become a tennis trainer or learn how to cut hair or how to repair stuff so that that you can be a handyman. Should these more value-aligned jobs um, no longer be available for a moment. And we've seen that during uh, the COVID crisis when it was ramping up um, and being at its, and it's still surging, you know, I don't want to give the impression that you're out of it because it's still very much happening. Um, yeah. But people started to, companies started to slim down budgets and cut down and the people that started to do really well were those that could be traveling hairdressers, for example, while people were in lockdown. It was incredible. But you actually have a funny story about this before we go on into the wild world of strategies and tactics to actually getting a job based on what you've just said there might be people out there that say oh this is great i or this is weird i may really love dogs or i may really love succulents and taking care of them as plants but that's hardly a career choice right so what do you have to say to that and do you maybe have a story of how this um, these four columns have actually culminated in a job that somebody didn't imagine could be one that takes all of their boxes. Yeah, you know, the I think the story that comes to mind is the woman who watches our dog. Um, I my wife and I adopted a dog four years ago. He's a uh, uh, so he's he's twelve now, and one of the uh, hard things about him is that he has a lot of separation anxiety and he does really, really poorly in, in kennels. So mm. when we're traveling, leaving him, you know, in a kennel with a whole bunch of other dogs is, is just not an option. It would be, it would be torture to him. So what we've tried to do is to have people watch him in their homes or a friend or family member come to ours and watch him. And that led us to using a service called Rover, um, which is kind of like Uber or Airbnb, Mm -hmm. but for dog watching. And we were, um, a friend of ours, our, our, our groomer actually recommended this woman on Rover. She had heard another of her uh, clients had used her and had a really good experience. And so we took our dog over and had this woman watch watch him, I think, the first time for a few hours. And then and then overnight and after, I think, a few times, we actually went on a trip for nine days. And so we, we were getting to know her and see what her background was. And it was really fascinating to me. She was the typical example of somebody who was really good at what she did mm-hmm. and really hated it. Um, she was a nurse. Um, I think she had been a nurse for 20 years. And nurses, at least in, in the US and most parts of the US, they make a they make a very good living. You're not gonna get rich, 
but you are not going to have a problem paying your bills if it's a very solidly sort of middle to upper middle class uh, kind of a profession. Mm -hmm. But going to work every day was just painful to her. She just really didn't like the work and she really didn't like the way that she was treated. And what she stumbled into was that she loved dogs and friends and family members were always asking if she wouldn't mind watching their dog and, you know, for a few hours overnight, whatever. And as she started to do that more and more, they started to pay her. It's like, oh, you're watching our dog for four days. You know, please let us pay you. If we, if we, get, if we had to leave him with our vet or a kennel, it's going to cost us $25 or $50 a day. You know, let us pay you that. Our dog is going to be much happier with you, so it doesn't cost us any more money. Everybody wins. And so she started to do this, mm-hmm. and this side hustle, if you can call it, became a business. Mm-hmm. So she quit nursing um, actually before COVID, and all she does is watch dogs. And interestingly, or at least I find it to be interesting, one of her the primary demographics of her customers are nurses. They will come by her place at six in the morning with their dog Mm -hmm. and leave their dog with her until 6 p.m. at night. Or, you know, nurses like a lot of other occupations, hey, if there's an emergency, your 6 p.m. quit time might become 7 Mm p.m. And so you have to have some flexibility with whoever it is that's watching your dog. Or if your dog is home alone, it's just they, you know, hopefully they're good at crossing their legs. And uh, (laughs) so she, she turned what was sort of a a hobby, an interest into a profession. And she's much happier. I mean, when you go and you see her, she is she just thinks she has the best job in the whole world. Yeah. She's yeah. at home 24-7, um, surrounded by usually five, six, seven dogs. And it's like summer camp for dogs and she's the camp counselor and i just think yeah it's just it sounds fantastic you know i find this is part of where this episode is also coming in because there really is no end to your creativity when you think about forging and shaping your career and whether you've been at university eons ago or whether you're currently leaving university Nothing there prepares you for the wild, wild west that is the current career space and the many ways in which you can live a fulfilled life, make money, be wherever you want to be in case of more online and digital careers. Um, there's another another wonderful example, and I mentioned this earlier, succulent plants, which have a big boom at the moment. There's a person working in the US who has a website slash blog and now a book and speaking gigs and radio show making i think she said 300,000 US dollars a year writing about how to nurse and uh take care of succulent plants so anything is possible really but it also makes it incredibly tricky to figure out is it though what are the risks attached to it there are more stable professions out there and the, then there are those that sound very 
aloof and alluring back to the YouTube example that are actually very, very hard and not many people succeed at them. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and just as, as a word of caution from somebody who started his own business uh, mm. bootstrapped, I, I mean, I, I literally invested $250 into my business in 1991. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was about like $7 less than what I had to my name. And you have to be prepared for the likelihood that your business, your venture is going to fail. You have to plan for that because it almost certainly will. In six to 12 months, your business, your venture, your side hustle will probably fail. And so be prepared for that. If you've got some good savings and you can take part of that and, mm -hmm. and take that risk, go for it. Um, okay. If not, though, I think what most of those people did is that they worked hard to minimize their risk and they did it part time. They dabbled in it. They did it, you know, five hours a week, maybe ra rather than listening to podcasts like this. No, they, they should listen to podcasts like this. Never mind. Okay, but, absolutely. Uh, they, yes, absolutely. And tell all their friends. In fact, I should spend most of their time telling all their friends. Mm -hmm. But don't, don't quit your good job and take a huge financial risk that you can't afford to take by starting a, a, a new venture. Really, there are lots of ways that you can minimize that risk. And, and sticking your toe in the water is, and, and seeing if it works, doing it part-time, is usually a really good way of, no, it's very, of very figuring true. out if it works. It's very, very true. We have uh, we actually have multiple episodes on how to leave a job in style without mm -hmm. jumping from the frying pan into the fire. But still, we digress. This was part one of an episode series. It turned into a bit of a long episode, hence splitting it into two pieces. Part two will be released in two weeks from now. In the meantime, wherever you found us, do us a big favor and pop into the description box of this episode, follow the link to our LinkedIn page and give it a follow, give it a like. It really helps the podcast travel and reach a wider audience. I really believe that we are of service and of help. And uh, until next time, people, stay well and let's go get it.